This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 112, 112 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today, we have two horsewomen who are not afraid to explore difficult paths and bring their stories back to share with us. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. How are you? Greetings, Debbie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Good, good. We went out on a a limb with technology, didn't we? And we called all the way to the Patagonia region of Argentina. You know... We've, we call all over the world in Argentina, Patagonia region. It was a first. It was a first. Yeah. I think I, I put Glenn on, on that precarious moment, but, uh, <laughs> but we pulled it off. It was great. It was a, a few attempts before I finally got this interview in the can, as they say, uh, because this lady is just amazing. Stevie Anna uh, going across the wilds where there is nothing. And then she'll say, I've got one. I've got internet connection. (laughs) It was pretty cool. And I think people are going to love what she says. But uh, It's pretty amazing how we get to talk to people from all over the globe. It is. But what's going on in your part of the globe? Well, let's see. What's going on in our part of the globe? Oh, we have... um we have we have Pablo stories. We haven't had Pablo stories in quite some time. Oh, we have dog barking too. And you have dog stories too. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's going on with Pablo? I will, I love hearing about Pablo. We've got Pablo stories. Uh, I I am in charge of taking care of Pablo for a little while while his mommy and daddy are uh, taking some much needed time off and having a little vacation. Good. So I get to play. I get to play with Pablo. And Pablo, for people who have not listened for a long time to the Horsemanship Radio Show. Pablo is our next-door neighbor's horse, and our horses and our next-door neighbor horses share the facility here. Right. Uh, so we, we get to hang out with each other and talk to each other. And Pablo came with issues. He's a very high-energy horse and has a very high flight reflex. So he had issues. And I really started down the path of the language of Equus because of yeah. Pablo. Right. Um, I needed to find a way to get through to him because he was one of those horses that he didn't even want you to catch him. The only way you could catch him, like to bring him in to feed him or to put fly spray on him or if he needed medical attention, um, was luck of the draw or if you had a can of grain in your hand. And then it was a little, yeah. even, a little even then it was a little dicey. Really? So he, he yeah. came that way as an adult. So I, I started to explore the concepts of Monty's join up. And mm-hmm. without round penning and without training and things like that, he's not my horse. I'm not training him. But I worked on my use of that language because of him. Right. And I got good enough at it that he started to recognize that I'm not a predator. And we have made great strides in our relationship in that, mm-hmm. for the most part, he doesn't see me as a predator anymore, which is, yay, great. And he's mm-hmm. he's doing wonderful things with his owner now because he really trusts her much better. Oh, good, good, both of you. Yeah, and that's great. But he, yeah. he he still hangs on to his phobia about having his feet taken care of. He came with that mm-hmm. too. All right, has a lot of scarring on his legs, which I suspect mm-hmm. may have been caused by inappropriate use of training tools. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but he's got a problem with one of his hooves, an abscess or cold, uh, summer sore or some such that needs to be bandaged on a daily basis. So he's, he oh. doesn't, he, it, it kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. doesn't want to have his foot picked up. Mm-hmm. So, um, a little frustrating. So I went out and I put his dually halter on. He has his very own dually halter. And okay. I rewatched the schooling in the dually video over there on Monty Roberts <laughs> University to make sure Good. I got it right. And two days in a row when I had to take care of his foot, I schooled him with his dually halter on. And day one, we progressed within a span of about 15 minutes to hold our foot up politely and get it doctored. Day two, schooled for maybe three minutes because he starts out all jostly and silly. Maybe three minutes. Oh, I remember what we did yesterday. Really good. And now on day four, bring him out and put his dolly halter on. We walk back and forth. Few steps forward, few steps back, few steps left, few steps right. Does he? He does the dually dance with you a little he bit. Does, well, he, 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 he kind of expects it. He looks at me like, "Oh, we, we do this right. We oh. do this first. And he will stand in the aisleway with the lead rope just hanging over his neck, perfectly still, while I take care of that foot that needs to be bandaged and washed and all that. Don't tie awesome. him. He just stands there, and it's a huge win because he comes over, he takes a deep breath, and he kind of goes. Oh, I've got this. It's not going to hurt. You're in charge. You've got this. You're not going to hurt me. And it happens. And it's because I took the time to watch the video, learn how to do it properly, and then applied it. Yay. And he has tremendous trust because when they're in pain like that, too, to actually well, give yeah, it up to you, exactly. it, you know that, yeah. 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 And it, it stings. It's an open wound. So it stings. And I have to put medication on it, which probably stings, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm try to I try to be cognizant of the fact that it stings. And okay, I'm gonna spur, I'm gonna spray it on there, and then we're gonna immediately go for a walk for four steps because he That's needs awesome. to get that oh out of him. Yeah, yeah. Rather like, than like swinging him. your finger when you yeah, slam it and rather <laughs> than restricting his flight, right? Okay, you're allowed to express that. You're allowed to walk. We're gonna walk together, and can. then we're gonna turn around and stop again. And that was key because yeah. I, I didn't get my head around that. Oh, you need to stand still and just put up with it. Now, let's give this horse a chance to express himself. And it made a huge difference. So, yay, university. Yay, videos. Yay, Jen. No, <laughs> really fair to the horse. You know, I mean, that's I when we say be fair to the horse, there's a lot that goes in behind that. But it really means understand the horse. And if you think of them like your kid, you know, they, they can only stand still for so long. They need to express themselves, too, which they're not trying to be nefarious or, you know, buck your mm-hmm. discipline or right. something. So you you when it's safety involved, they must stand still. But to make them stand too long or, to you know, if it's fairer to let them move a little bit after doctoring like that, do it. And I love that little thing you just slipped in there about letting them um not feel constricted. Uh, we were just talking about this. The not feeling constricted builds the confidence in the horse. So I hear him becoming more confident in you, but also becoming more confident in his environment himself. Yes, because he's right? one of those horses that is literally, this is not, and this is no exaggeration. He will spook at his own shadow. shadow. <laughs> and he has spooked at his own shadow. <laughs> yeah. So, so adorable. As long as you stay on, they're adorable. Yeah, you know, you yeah. stay adorable. You're adorable, and you you make sure you're on the non-spook side. But um, oh, yeah. it has made a big difference. You're right. Um, us as humans, learning to recognize when okay, this horse needs to be allowed to express this versus this is a moment when the horse needs to learn self-control. In that, okay, he, he's trying to move his feet all around, and I'm going to school him in his halter and have some forward forward and back steps. Which of those moments is this? And I'm getting a little bit better at recognizing that because 
he challenges me to because, you know, there's a way to get around this. I don't need to chain. I don't need to get mad at him. I just need to become a better observer and apply the appropriate response. And I'm getting a little bit better at that because he is such a challenge. And I'm thank you, Jamie, for inspiring me to um, mm. to do that. It's cool. Yeah, that that's very cool. And the other thing I hear people say sometimes in rebut to this whole thing about letting them express themselves a little bit too, people will go, well, but but if he gets loose, then I, well, you know what? You get a longer lead because if they do need to express, we use a 30 foot long line. If we've got a green horse that may just like pop you know, be afraid of mm-hmm. everything he just saw yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's all new, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know, but we, you know, leads in 12 feet would be the shortest that I would work with, with a, with a green horse or a horse that comes with phobias that you, you don't even know what they are yet, you mm-hmm. know, um, uh, or a 17 foot, you know, we've, we've, we just don't even believe in the six footers or eight footers. Maybe it's because of what every everything that comes through our gate. But um, yeah, you don't get any know, any quiet made. Yeah, you don't get those kind uh, at your house. No, <laughs> just the babies, just the babies. You know, but anything where, um, like especially a loading. This is one where I really see people making mistakes because he who moves the feet you know, first loses, right? Mm-hmm. With the horses, everybody knows this. Right? If a horse starts to take off and you start to be pulled along with him, you're going to lose that fight, right? So if you can let them go, like if you've got the dually halter, like you just explained, that does the little twist thing when it comes to uh, them tightening up on it, it's just like a twist in your sock. We've, we've talked about this before. It's just a little discomfort level. They'll come right off of that. It's not pain. It's not chain. It's not a fight. It's just something that's uncomfortable. If you've got 30 feet in your hand and they let, they don't usually express themselves 30 feet. They'll no, go 10 no. feet or no. something and they'll stop. But as soon as they make themselves lean into that pressure, they'll come off of it. And you're still holding, standing there, not moving your feet. And his owner, and she is so patient. She is really, really, really good at recognizing when his little brain is full. Yeah, yeah. good. Oh, that's so good. He's, she's yeah. really good at incremental. And that's made a yeah. big difference in this horse is the increments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, need, mm-hmm. he needs his life broken down into teeny tiny little Cheerios size pieces. <laughs> and just, One of yeah. the things I heard too that you did well is it sounds like he is what we call latent learning, which is a, <clears throat> it's a funny concept. Yes. We really that. believe, do you, do you know? That? Yeah. I, I think they, they do sleep on these things. And if you, if you wait till their brain is full and that's good and you recognize that spot and say, you know, more tomorrow, they come out ahead of yesterday. Yes. They do. You watch this, watch this and, and see if I'm wrong. But I think most people agree when they really start, when they do it right incrementally, like you just explained. And she's if she's good at that as a new owner, that's brilliant. It really is. I mean, sometimes you can be a little bit behind the curve, but you don't really lose points for that. You just lose a little more time. But if you if you watch them recognize that yesterday wasn't a bad experience, it might have been a little new for everybody and we all had to work really hard to get our brains around it, but they will come out ahead the next day. We call it latent learning because it's almost like they slept on it and went, you know, that was okay. Right. <laughs> I think we'll just start where we left off yesterday right. or maybe even ahead of that because they're much more relaxed and not full mm-hmm. at that point. So, right. and so I, it sounds that always like gives me a thrill. When mm. that happens, regardless of what horse I'm working with and what we did, when you have that moment where you return to a previous lesson that the last time you did it, it was all new, and they go, oh, yeah, I got this. That just gives me 
a thrill because that means I got it right the first time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Jen. You're exactly right. And you know, and people shouldn't beat themselves up if if the horse got loose or, you know, it just wasn't working that day and y'all just went home. That's okay. I like to end on a positive note, whatever that is, you know, but if it doesn't happen, you know what, there's always the next day too. So that's okay. The big goal is no pain, no violence, and really no setbacks that way, because all else is just learning and failures are the best learning. So that's okay too. We both learn, you know, mm-hmm. the horse and us learn at the same time. So it's okay too. You got to know where the boundaries are. Gotta so, go so it's okay to experiment, re- watch videos, get help from, uh, from your trusted trainer person and Absolutely. give it that try. And you know, it'll encourage your horse to try too. That's the fun of it. That's our process. And you know, without that, we're, we're just riding tractors. Come on. That's not fun. <laughs> And we've got dogs again. Yay! Well, on that note, (laughs) why don't we uh, get to our first guest, Stevie Anna, right after this from Omega Fields. Your horse is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh, growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. Stevie Anna grew up in the woods of Oregon and the deserts of Texas and now makes the stunning wilderness of Patagonia her home. She loves immersing herself in new cultures and places, having traveled to 49 states in the U.S. while living out of her van with her dog, Darcy, who also accompanied her on the expedition to Patagonia. Well, welcome, Stevie Anna. Where are we hearing you from today? It sounds like you're, I know you're in Argentina. Yeah, I'm not currently on on horseback in the middle of nowhere in Patagonia, <laughs> as one would one would think. I'm yeah. actually um, sitting in a cozy little coffee shop in Bariloche, Argentina, Patagonia, and a nice sunny um, autumn day here. Ah, uh, beautiful. That's right. We're in the opposite side of the world here, so we have our different seasons upside down. You're such a brave lady. And it's been so fun to follow in your blog. And um, I I can't wait for people to get to know you a little bit, but you're an explorer, I guess. What do you call yourself? A gaucha now or an explorer or what? That's so hard. I've actually had that discussion with other adventurers, explorers, kind of, you know, what, 
what is a modern day explorer? What does that entail? But yeah, I think I'm more comfortable calling myself a gaucho. <laughs> yeah, you're a gaucho. Yeah. And you've got all those gauchos helping you along on this trip, which has just been fabulous to hear. And I just feel like I've gone back in time to follow your story. You know, one of the things that I, I'm curious about when you, I know we'll we'll get to how you put these monstrous trips together, but what are we missing when we want to immerse ourselves in a culture, but we we pop into an airplane and we fly into an airport and then we go see the culture? What are we missing that you got to see along the way? That's really tough. I think most of it, it all comes down to time and really just spending it's even in the small moments, you know, trying to connect with a local person over um, as we were talking before, yerba mate or a cup of coffee, you know, taking those, those moments not to actually see a place, but more connect with the people and, and, its, and its culture. And that really is hard to do on, on, a, on a time in a short time frame, which is usually what we have is two weeks a year to kind of get all of our traveling in in the States. So this, it was really slow going. It was really slow travel, um, primarily because the animals can only travel so much per day. So it really gives you a lot of time to kind of sit down and talk with the locals and and discover and learn um, and be a part of that culture over time. Mm-hmm. So it's a thousand miles on horseback, two horses and a dog named Darcy. Why did yeah. you do it? What? Why do you do this? That it, it was funny because I think that the idea came after the fact that I was already kind of going to go. It, it was more of where life was or where I was at in life um, that the trip kind of evolved. I was down here in, in Patagonia for the last two years guiding backcountry pack trips with a local gaucha here in the mountains and, and just getting to see all of the backcountry here and meet its people. Um, it's just a land to be kind of explored and and traveled by horse it was just totally meant for that it's all ranches you know all the way along the mountains to the southern tip and so I think just being exposed to that over the last couple years and seeing how horse travel is and and how it opens you up to new places and people I just realized like wow this is what I want to do but instead of you know in this small little area go you know all the way along the mountains to the south crossing these ranches and and these vast areas. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, you know, I have this vision in my mind and the photos that you take are beautiful. Are you, are, do you travel alone or do you have someone go along with you? No. Um, I, and this trip I traveled just by myself. There were a couple of mornings that the gauchos where I would stay camped at, they would, you know, be bored enough to go on the ride with me for an hour or two, a company, an hour or two, just, just for kicks, but otherwise I was, I was alone with, with my two horses and my dog. That's amazing. Do you ever, um, did you ever get into a pinch? Do you ever worry about there? Does your mom worry about you? (laughs) Does anybody know where you are and how you're doing? Only naturally. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She was, yeah, she was constantly worried about me, but, but, um, no, and down here, the people are so nice. It's, I feel really safe and, and no, there was never any kind of situation. Every, all of the gauchos are very, they're very respectful, very traditional. 
um, kind of person. And, and so it was really great. And I also had a GPS with me that uh, a Garmin inReach that allowed me to send text. And it also sent out my current location every 20 minutes. So my family could actually follow me on this web on Garmin's website and see where I was at and send me messages if they needed to. Gotcha. Oh, that's just wonderful. I mean, you've got the best of both worlds. You've got old world atmosphere and culture, and you've got technology that, that protects you. So, I, so I'd love to get into the to the horses a little bit too. I love the history of the Criollo horse that uh, the, the Spanish explorers left behind hundreds of years ago. Um, it must just be such a great breed. Did you, when you were doing the packs, were you using exclusively the Criollo? Yeah, and down here in Argentina with the accent, we say criollo. So if you hear me say ah. criollo, it's just the different accent. It's not a different breed. But yeah, they've used, yeah, no, they've used these horses here. I mean, they are the native horse. Um, I mean, they were brought down here, but they were the first horse in this area. So they're just really accustomed to, to living in the mountains. They're really solid. They can eat, you know, anything. They can go, you know without water. Mine never had to do that, but I like to say they're kind of the Mustang of the South. They're just yeah, super hardy horses. It. Yeah. Well, the same thing. I mean, the, the Spanish explorers did leave the, the Mustangs, the Mustango behind too. So did you have to prepare them for this trip or the, or did you just pick good horses right out of a string and, and get going? I got pretty lucky. Um, they were both very, um, tame whenever I got them and, and yeah, I, I use them, I do guiding here. So we use them on some of the practice trips where I guide before just to see how they did, but they were, they were totally solid horses. They were just excellent. I got super lucky. Yeah, no, really good. One, just a practical item. Do you rotate, do you ride one horse and then pack with the other and then rotate them or how do you do that? There were days, there were days that I switched my riding horse, but I rode primarily, um, his name was Sundance or is Sundance. He was the, oh gosh, now I'm thinking, I only know the colors and in Spanish now. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) Here they call it a gatiado. I think there might be a buckskin. Um, he was 22 or is 22 years old. And so being the older horse, I, I used him a little bit more for riding and my younger horse bandido. For the pack horse, he was a lot heavier set and just he carried the pack saddle really well. And there were days that I switched, but primarily was was um, was that situation. My Sundance was my riding horse, and then Bandido he followed everywhere. And Sundance he was just a he's a tough horse. I know I could trust him to cross any river, or do whatever I needed, and the other the pack horse would then follow us. So he he just made a really good lead horse. Yeah. Did did um, well, and there's no mental prep there for them. But do you mentally have to prepare for these trips? I mean, I know that you put everything in order, but how do you psych yourself up for these? To be alone for that long and to be with your horses and animals? It's it's funny because it it really was for me. It was like being in love. This idea, this dream, every single day for the last two years. I woke up thinking about it. I went to bed thinking about it. It was just. <laughs> something I had to do. So for me, it was more of this like, okay, let's, you know, mentally prepare that this is not, you know, the reality is not riding the horse up into the sunset. And it's also pretty, it's a lot harder <laughs> and tougher than that. Yeah, um, you're kidding. But no, yeah, nothing can really prepare you for the things on the trail. And I think when you, 
when you don't have the option, you know, you just, you just do. And on the trail, you just learn quickly and you do, you know, what you have to do. And, and after you get past that, that learning point, you just enjoy every bit of it. I just loved it. Mm. How long were you out there? How long did 85 days. 85 days. And, uh, there, there's the history of the Sundance Kid and and Butch Cassidy and that whole thing. What did tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So the gaucha that I work with, her grandfather actually was from Texas, and he came down by ship and rode his horse from Buenos Aires down to Bariloche, which is where I currently live, um, over a thousand miles by horseback, and set up the first ranch in the area. Now Bariloche is a huge city. But the, this family, the Jones, had the first ranch here. Butch Cassidy and Sundance, uh, a couple years later, actually heard that there were more Texans down in the area and followed his trail. And they mm-hmm. linked up here in Bariloche. Um, and they were friends for a time. But Butch Cassidy and Sundance moved down to a small town called Cholila, where you can actually still visit their old hideout cabins where they were oh, living wow. with at a place. And I have pictures of that on my website. It's really fun, a really cool place. And so they were friends for a time until her grandfather had found out that they were stealing cattle from other ranchers. So he kind of put some distance there. But Carol, the, the, the gaucha that I work with, it was mm-hmm. her grandfather. She actually has one of the old bits of Butch Cassidy and Sundance oh in her, in her, um, at her estancia, at her ranch. It's really interesting. Uh, would be so interesting. Yeah, Carol Jones, you, you'll have to look at Stevie's listeners. I'll have to live live with Stevie for a while on that blog. It's just amazing. But I thought it was so interesting about um, the stealing of the cattle. So, like, how do they figure that out? Well, there's all these variety of brands that sort of show up in the pastures. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's sort of a dead giveaway. That's why they brand yeah. those cattle, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine stumbling upon them and then starting to realize it? Yeah, probably time to leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm curious. You've traveled 49 states now, I think, in the United States, and you've traveled with Darcy a lot, which is your dog. Um, but you became a centaur, basically. I mean, when anybody who's in the saddle for 85 days must feel part horse when you um, when you get off a trip like that. What's the difference? How do you interact with Darcy differently than your horses, who must have become desperately good friends with you? Yeah, absolutely. No, I will say that now I never look at like the landscape or the countryside in the same way. You're always looking at it with the mind of the horse, like. Oh, it's really rocky there. Oh, that's really great grass. Oh, there might be water over that hill. It's like your vision of, of, of the countryside completely changes. You cannot change your mind from thinking like a horse after, after being in the saddle for 85 days. It's quite funny. Oh, that's um, so cool. That's very cool. It's pretty funny. But as far as my relationship with Darcy... Yeah, she's traveled, I'm sorry, 26 states with me. I got her as a puppy in Alaska, and this Argentina is her third country. And she's just my my travel companion. Um, she's with me, yeah, through thick and thin and always there, and we just have a super solid um, relationship. And with the horses, it's very respectful, but they don't get to come in and sleep on your tent and warm your toes <laughs> if you're sleeping back at night. That's a little different. But um, with the horses, too, it was really funny because um, the horses feel really safe around Darcy. And I think vice versa, Darcy really, really enjoys protecting everyone and keeping us kind of close together. And 
So that was cool to see the relationship between Darcy and the horses form and the trust and bond between them. I actually would um, put Darcy on my pack horse when she was tired and she would be able to rest up on him um, when we were walking some days. So it was just really neat to see the the kind of team dynamic form over the months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's two years in the making this trip. Um, so I'm so glad that it turned out as beautifully as it did. Um, our our gain as much as yours to be able to see it. So tell us a little bit about what goes on in those two years when you're putting something like this together. How do you make a living at this? Everybody who has horses wants to know how you get to do this for a living. I have to say living in the States, it's really tricky to have horses. It's expensive and you have, you know, you have to have a place and everything. And Patagonia is so wild. Um, there's, it's a little bit more easy to keep them here because most of the horses here, they don't live in stables. They live just out in the open field and pastures and on ranches. Some of them have fences. Some of them don't. You go spend a day looking for your horse out in the mountains, but they live a very, very rustic, very different kind of life than what we're exposed to in the States with horses. So it is a little easier to maintain a horse because you're not buying and feeding. You just basically have the piece of land where they stay. Um, And then I do a lot of work on the computer. I do a bunch of marketing for other explorers and and for outdoor companies. But a little bit of mix of everything that that allows me, you know, to to be able to to do this, these kinds of trips. But to do what you love. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and I think that's what every horse person needs to do is just fight for that because being around horses is such a, is, um, such a healthy thing. It's such a clever thing to do and, uh, it's, it's becoming rare air. So I'm really glad that you get to share your story with us a little bit about it, just, uh, creating some more dreams for people out there. Um, what do you think is one of the surprising things about the trip that you're, you're never asked about? Oh, that is such a tough question. Mm. Gosh, I don't know. The surprising thing that I'm never asked about. Yeah, there's usually in a in a really good story. There's something that uh, you're often wishing that people had asked you about, you know, and it seemed so unique. I think I'm know, impressed. I- I'm impressed with your gaucho lifestyle there and how um, community is built, how it's traditional, but they live in the modern world and know, know how to take care. Yeah. I was actually going to say, I think people um, underestimate like the, the importance of, of people on trips like this. One of the reasons that I traveled solo is because it really does force you to get out of your comfort zone. If you travel with a friend, you kind of have that like you know, person always there to talk with or to, you know, lean on. And this really pushes you to just kind of get out there and to, to meet the people and to talk with people. And after a week of not seeing someone, you want to sit down and drink a mate with a goat <laughs> and talk and, and connect. And so, no, I think it's um, the people here on the countryside. Like I said, after doing this trip solo, I really, the biggest thing that I took away is how important people are and the kindness and generosity and just the patience and, and, and everything that I've, I've seen and been given from the people during that 85 days ride was so special. And, 
it's just a genuine, you know, they just genuinely want to help you. They don't want anything back and they don't, many of them don't have much to give, but they would do absolutely anything for you. And it's the people that, that know horses, that know animals. And so you arrive there and they know exactly what you need and they, they want to talk with you. They want to hear about your trip and, and vice versa. You know, there are people that travel the land by horse. So it's, it's very interesting getting to talk with them about places and, and for them, you know, most of them only know maybe a five mile radius of their of their house in the countryside. So getting to talk to them about the the Andes Mountains and you know a foreigner's take on on their land and and talk to them about trails or weather, or horses or gear, it's just something really special to get to share that. And yeah, that just really made the trip very special. Ah, oh, yeah. Thank you for that. That that did paint a picture in my mind. That was really really nice, and it makes me want to go there. What's your next trip? Do you have another big one planned? I do, but it's in the planning. I mean, it'll uh, definitely be something down here in Patagonia. I just okay. I love the area and I love the history and the culture. Um, and then maybe something up in the states in the future. But for right now, I'm just I'm loving the history and the culture of this area. So I kind of want to discover that more and and uncover more of the history and, and the estancias. This was more, of course, that incorporated all the people on this long ride. But this was more over a distance. And I would like to do something more um, to discover and to storytell, you know, and these different estancias and these different people and, and the end of the world. Yes, it is. You you really have gone to the very bottom of the earth too. How do people connect with you, Stevie? How do they how do they follow you? Sure. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Stevie Anna. It's Stevie and Anna with two N's. And then also at my website, stevieanna.com. That's perfect. Well, I hope our listeners will take you up on that and follow you because it is it's it's a lost art, this explorer business <laughs> and and the slow down time that people travel I mean used to people used to at least travel by train and slow slowly see the cultures and the and the landscapes and the and the beautiful country that is down there and uh, you know nothing is forever so I hope people will jump in and and get a little explorer in them like you do Steviana and it was so fun to share with you I, I'm so pleased that you could take out some time in a coffee house for us and no uh, thank you so much and again my apologies on the on the background noise and I'm, I'm sure people were expecting to hear i don't know a guanaco or a puma in the background noise. Yeah. <laughs> i don't <laughs> think so it's pretty we still know it's hard to get internet out on top of a mountain somewhere yeah. it's still it's here too but, well we look forward i hope we can meet you sometime and i'd love to have you back yeah, thank you so much, Debbie. I really enjoyed it. I, and I, I do. I hope to catch up with you again in the future. Wonderful. We'll do that again on Horsemanship Radio. Thanks. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths. 
waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Jamie Jennings was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and she began riding at the age of six on her not-so-trustworthy pony, Snowflake. She was bit with a horse bug at an early age and blessed enough to have a wonderfully supportive set of parents. She rode up and down the East Coast with most of her time spent in Lexington, Cleveland, and Southern Pines. At the age of 18 in Lexington, Kentucky, Jamie discovered the sport of eventing. And with the help of several talented coaches, Jamie successfully competed through preliminaries and her motto is once you event you never go back and she's still doing that to this day her life's goal is to compete in every state in the continental u.s jamie was a professional broadcaster in atlanta for 10 years she began reporting for local atlanta sports stations and quickly moved up to host multiple morning and afternoon shows on country top 40 and alternative rock stations she is now the co-host of horses in the morning on horse radio network jamie runs a successful boarding and training business called Flyover Farm. Well, welcome, Jamie Jennings. How are you? I'm fantastic. Just got done unloading some hay and I ran in here to talk to you. So, oh, I appreciate that. Good. Or I got you out of it either way. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's bales? not getting done. Not getting you... done by itself. So, <laughs> I know. I know. Do you buck your own bales? Look at that. They don't put it away for you and everything. I know. You're it's a celebrity. like this husband of mine, like he it demands me to do work around. It's weird. That is the hardest job on earth. <laughs> Sorry, moving bales around. That's that was my least favorite, itchiest job ever. I think. Yeah, right? it's pretty brutal, but but you got to do it. They got to eat. Yeah, and you've got the guns to prove it. Look at that. You, <laughs> <laughs> you're one tough cookie. I am so glad to have you on today to celebrate the fact that you have passed the Monty Roberts International Learning Center Advanced Course and exams, most importantly. They're your exams. I'm so excited for you. That is one tough thing. Oh my God. Can I just say, not to deter anybody who's listening to this from doing it, but that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And the, the sense of satisfaction that you get from doing a good job at something that was that challenging is, I'm an, I'm a different person. I just feel like so I'm I'm so proud of myself and I'm just so happy. I'm happy for you. And you know what? We wouldn't want it any other way. I mean, I'm so proud of every single you're not an instructor yet. You're an intern, but I'm so proud of every person that goes through that advanced course. Just to get in the advanced course is not easy. You can go in with very little information about um specifically starting a wild horse, let's say. But you, you might be a great horseman all your life, but that specific information that you end up being tested on puts you in a, in rare air. Because first of all, how many people actually get to do that in their life? I don't care how many horses you've worked with or how long you've worked with horses your whole life. How many people actually start to finish a project horse like you did? Very few. Most people are happy to give them over to trainers to do that crazy, <laughs> right? It's, it's true. I had never 
that was kind of always a bucket list thing was to start a wild horse and to put the first touch on a wild horse. Yeah. Who gets to do that? And certainly where I live now, uh, the goal for a future home would be to have a, a place where I could do that, but not even a, a normal farm ca- is capable of right. handling an untouched horse. So yeah, tell us to, about that. Why, why, why isn't most farms capable of that? Well, if you were to take a wild horse, like say I go to the local B- BLM adoption and I pick a horse. Okay. I take that one. Well, you have to actually prove to them that you have, uh, there's some, some stipulations and there are actually not many stipulations, but you have to have a six foot fence because those suckers <laughs> will leave if they can. And <laughs> they, they're not happy about being rounded up, but that's just what they have to go through. So either you take a Mustang and like, you train it and make it valuable or it's just a, a Mustang sitting in a, in a holding pen. So that's why it's so important to get these horses out of the holding pens and put some training into them because education for a horse is going to make their life exponentially better, just like with people. So to take a wild horse, you have to have a six foot uh, fence to be able to house them and they have to have some shelter. They have to have a certain amount of space to move around in. But then you as a trainer, you need to have the facilities to be able to train them. Mm-hmm. Sure. I've got a six foot fence, but how am I going to catch it? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, what's fantastic about, uh, the flag is up farms is they have the IFA gentling pins and they are places specifically designed to reduce adrenaline in the horses and for the gosh as the the trainer doing it it's so nice to feel safe Safe. and that is the other thing that those gentling pins make both parties safe and so i mean that's the biggest scariest thing about a wild horse is their unpredictable nature which also makes them really really fun but also (laughs) makes them kind of scary so to have that ability at flag is up to do it in such a safe way and to learn and understand you know i did the gentling wild horses course years ago before i even thought of doing any of this craziness with getting certified and i was you know, I came home going, I may never train a wild horse, but by God, I'm going to be a better trainer to my current horses. The way that I learned how horses, their languages and how they think and how they learn and how, again, you may never go to train a wild horse, but when you go to that course or any of these courses, oh my gosh, you just learn where you're eyes go, where your shoulders go, what you're actually communicating to your domestic horse. I can't catch him in the pasture. I don't know. We'll stop walking up to him like you're chasing him away, you know, in his language. So, um, that course just made me a better horse person in general. And then to be able to go back and do the intro course and the advanced course and all the exams. I mean, there's a, a, when you're doing your advanced exam, you're in the gentling pen and you have to take a horse and you've got to get a halter. You got to get it in the gentling chutes. Then you're going to have to get a first touch on it, then a halter. And then by the end, Lord willing, and the Creek don't rise. You take that thing out and lead it around. Yeah. Um, and it works. Yeah. Except yeah. for your dad is staring over his shoulder, judging <laughs> us. It's so true. It's an exam. Too. <laughs> it is an exam. I mean, he's like the test master, you know? So I wasn't nervous about the horse or anything, but I'm <laughs> nervous about your dad sitting there. Like you, you don't want to screw up in front of the guy who invented it, you know, yeah. <laughs> make him proud. He discovered it. Now he discovered it. And you know, it's always been in there and he gets that question a lot. Like, 
why didn't somebody else, you know, start working with these concepts? And maybe there were people out there doing this in Mongolia somewhere or something, but they didn't write it down. So, so we, we've got this school going a long time, but now, so I want to talk about you a little bit. This is a congratulations to you and all that you accomplished. And I appreciate you describing some of those things you accomplished and making yourself a better horse person, even if, but you did it, you, you did the even ifs. So when you close your eyes and you imagine that you're teaching this concept, I assume you're going to have your own school or something. You're teaching these concepts at your own school. What do you look forward to most? You know, uh, it's it's kind of uh, on a small scale. I'm doing it right now, and that is the thing I look forward to the most is to be able to help the horses and the people with their specific problem. To to feel like I have an answer for whatever they throw at me, you know. Uh, um, so there is a client's horse. I, I train horses here in in Phoenix, and I, I teach a little bit here and there, but I don't do anything on a big scale, you know, it's little by little. And I had a, a person who brought a horse and it just was like 10 problems, like th- the top 10 worst things horses do. They don't load. He doesn't lead. He doesn't lunge. He doesn't this. It doesn't that. And we were able to knock down every single uh-huh. problem that this horse has had. And he became what some would consider a willing partner. I mean, yeah. it's like, you just, we just got him to wear, and it was so funny one day, Debbie, oh my gosh, the, the, it was the student's dad, the student's like 25 and her dad always came to all of the, the lessons. And he says to me, he goes, Jamie, I don't know, man. He goes, you should write a book about this. You should write a book. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I, I, it's already been written. I, re- I just read it. <laughs> I was just reading it. Yeah. <laughs> I just reading it. <laughs> and that's what you can add to that book though, too. This is what I love that the, the front door is open. Once you put the, the muscle memory in those muscles, you can take this and, and every student really can. I mean, what's dad's favorite saying? I don't want any of my students to be as good as I am. I want, I want them, them to be all better. To be better. That's right. <laughs> and that's because that door is open in front of you. So what's the most surprising thing you learned about horses on this journey so far? Oh my gosh. Um, I think probably for me and, and Monty would probably say the same thing is I, two, two things. I learned how to breathe, mm-hmm. just breathe and kind of going along with that as fast as slow and slow as fast. Mm-hmm. If you, you take a horse's problem and just, you know, look at it and take a deep breath and start to think about it and, and slowly go up the ladder. You know, I, I tell people it's something like you don't climb a ladder by jumping in the middle and going up. You have to start at that bottom rung and those bottom steps go really fast. If you start at the bottom and work your way up. So, uh, another thing, yeah, just breathing and just relaxing. Uh, they, they kind of, Denise, uh, your head instructor kind of picks on me a little bit. Cause I'm like, I get a little bit, a little bit hyper, a little bit excited, a little jerky with my movements. But she's like, just breathe. And the breathing thing has really helped me with the horses that I have here, the Mustangs that I do have, because it really is like Zeus, for example, he's a bit of a tense horse. And I've taught him now to do a downward transition to go from the canter to the trot or the trot to the walk or trot to halt, whatever, by taking, I take a deep breath and let it out. And so I'm like really sneaky in my dressage tests because my downward transitions are really good because I take a deep breath 
and let it out. And he goes into a downward transition. I'll have to touch his face. However, Debbie, I've learned that that might pose a problem when I was out galloping cross country and I was out of breath and I oh <laughs> did that and he stopped on cross country. Oh, no. Like, no, 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 I still have to breathe. <laughs> Unintended consequences. <laughs> Unintended consequences. So you, there's always a learning curve that goes along with I'm like, I'm so smart. Look what I taught my horse to do. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> Not all the time. Um so I think that those have been really surprising and I'm surprised at the confidence that I have when I work with horses now, because I, if you take the concepts and you apply them to whatever the problem that the horse or rider is having, if you just take the concepts, it's like, I was never very good at math. I'm giving you like a 10 minute answer, but I was never good at math. And with math, you have this problem and then you have to find what equation, you know, go through your Rolodex of equations in your head and pluck out the equation that goes with that particular math problem. Right. And this is like that, but I know I have all the qu equations memorized, <sighs> you know, so it's like a math test that I finally understand. <laughs> You're prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> studied. <laughs> you studied. <laughs> no, that's a good analogy. It is. It's like a little repertoire in the back of your brain, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but what happens when you get to that that moment where there isn't something in the repertoire? What do you do? Do you, you want to know honestly what I do? <laughs> I go to I go to the university online and I try oh, to see what Bonnie did. <laughs> yeah, WWM. <laughs> what was uh, my do, well, yeah. what would Monty do? A student of mine made me a bracelet because apparently I, I say it all the time. I'm like, hey, what would Monty do? And so they made me a WWMD. <laughs> That's so cute. That's so cute. Well, and you know what? And he does the same thing. Like he he remembers his old mentor, Don Dodge. What would Jamie do? Is that what he's? <laughs> yeah, he hasn't got there yet. But keep pushing, girl. I know. Don D. What <laughs> would Don do? We we all have you know mentors in our lives that. Uh, that he thinks, okay, what? And one of the things that Don Dodge taught him, uh, you'll appreciate this, is to stop, go sit in the corner for a bit. He used to have a cigarette, but Don Dodge yeah. did, you know, but to smile and think about, you know, the horse and what's fair to the horse. So I, I know you've got that coming. It, yours is breathing first and next thing is just stopping. Well, I, I don't smoke, so we just breathe. Yeah. <laughs> Not worth starting. For <laughs> so you like the concepts. I'm, I'm really proud of you for, for taking those on. It is a change though, isn't it? I mean, it's, do you reflect on those changes that you've made with your horses and wonder what, what sort of held you back or. Um, you know, uh, Glenn, my co-host of the Horses in the Morning show, I think he's producing. I don't know if he has a microphone, but he actually told me that I have changed as a as a, even a person than a host in the way that I handle situations. She's not so a, mean to me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we teach that. Be nice to Glenn. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. My life is so much easier without her picking on me every day now. So oh, I never picked on you, but definitely oh. <laughs> situations that have presented themselves. He, like Glenn said, he was like, you take more of like a teaching opportunity as opposed to. You know what like, you like, do? You take a breath. Aww. See? See? <laughs> that is true. Just, you take a breath yeah. where you didn't. You were from Atlanta. There were no breaths. Uh, oh. <laughs> so, no, I think that is the big difference I've seen in you actually is, is. You just take a breath and you think about situations a little bit longer than you did before. 
And that's, that is the case when last weekend uh, I adopted my little advanced course project, a pony named magic, precious Mm -hmm. magic Gallup Jennings is what my four-year-old named her. And so I took her to her first little horse show and she's a, about a 13, two hand pony. Now I'm only five, two. So, I mean, I don't look ridiculous on her, but I'm definitely a big, I'm not a kid, you know? So I took her and did a little cross rail jump course. And again, this this pony wouldn't have done much other than just be used in courses and then go back up to the rescue and be adopted out. Maybe you just never know. So I adopted her. I took her home and I've given her this like foundation and this existence and this training. And I took her to a show and I was so proud. We went and did the cross rail. She didn't refuse. She jumped everything. She was super cute. And I come out of the arena and this lady goes, aren't you a little big for that pony? Oh, <laughs> and like the ATL Jamie, would have been uh-huh. like, I'm sorry, excuse me, who do you think you're talking? Like, I would have lost my mind. But in this situation, I thought, okay, how can I handle this? And I was like, well, it's me or nobody, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. And I think she that it's know. changed, yeah, the way that I deal with with people as well as horses. Yeah, with ignorance, I think. <laughs> Probably, you know, it's a, you know something that they don't know. And I think that is... What do you do? What do you think about the stumbling blocks in people's minds to to fully adopt these concepts? You know, you have to do you have to do the work, do the homework. You know, I I find it so frustrating when I go to see a client's horse or I hear somebody say, "Oh yeah, I tried that once." You know, it's, you don't just do things one time. It becomes your muscle memory. So like, oh yeah, um, I couldn't get my horse on the trailer. Did you try this? Well, yeah, we tried it once. Well, like, Mm -hmm. no, you have to use the dually halter and you have to teach your horse to lead. You have to do the homework and get them over some bridges and tarps and like do the leg work. Mm -hmm. And I just find how many people don't continue on with the work. So the, the, the other Mustang I have Thor Uh, how this whole like Monty Roberts university and infatuation started was I had a horse. I couldn't mount. I couldn't get on him. I I adopted him from a prison and the inmate was like, yeah, just let him gallop circles around you while you got a foot in the stirrup. And then when he stops, get on. Jump. That's that's not going to work for me. (laughs) So I went on to the university and watched the Monty's mounting block lessons. And I was like, Oh my God, I can do that. And it took, you know, I repetition of like not very long, but four four days in a row, 20 minutes each day. That's and it. maybe it wasn't about getting on the horse and getting his heart rate up. I'm an inventor. So I'm like, always, we want to get their heart rates up. We want to get them fit, get them working. You know what? I just had to take four days, take a deep breath and teach him to stand still when mounting. Mm-hmm. If I would have given up after one day, then yeah. nothing would have changed. I tried that for the once. rest of the, yeah, yeah. For the rest of the life of the horse too. I mean, that's a, that's a long time to deal with a, an issue. I, I use him as a lesson horse now, Debbie, and people climb up on a mounting block and I'm like, just clap. He comes over and he comes right and he over does. Oh and stand, he learned it forever. So and people go like, Oh, that's just so you're a guru, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's just do the work, yeah. do the homework, do the legwork. Every time your horse doesn't stand still, every single time your horse walks off when you don't want him to, back him up six steps, let him commit to the mistake. I say, let him take three steps, back him up six and drop the reins and take a deep breath. And eventually if you do that every time and consistently, not just once do the work, make it muscle memory for you. And then it fixes it. 
So uh, what it was the concepts, you just have to like, you know, apply yourself like something I heard in high school, apply (laughs) yourself to the method. (laughs) (laughs) But it works. It actually works. The difference is now she's actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's found a reason. It wasn't so much doing it in high school. <laughs> you can't copy yeah. from somebody's paper before class. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Help prepared. So what's what's your greatest hope now? What's your greatest hope for the future of horses in people's lives? Oh my gosh, that's a huge question. It um, is. My greatest hope for for horses is, you know, if we can just circle things, all things back to the, to the Mustangs and we get all these dang Mustangs out of holding pens. Oh, I love that. And that people that. allow, you know, this is going to spark controversy, I'm sure. But, you know, unless we control the population of Mustangs, they're mm-hmm. going to keep getting rounded up and keep putting in herds and, ke- and keep putting in holding pens. And th- there's a lot of really nice horses that are standing amongst 50,000 other really nice horses mm-hmm. that, could be used. And, and so circling to that, I would like to get the horses out of there. And that's why I compete. I'm going to, a, we're moving up a level. We're going novice this weekend at a horse oh, trial. By the time this God. airs, this will uh, have already happened, but right. I'm doing my first ever novice on a Mustang. Congrats. And Look at you. First Zeus. ever novice. And you're I doing know. Zeus, the Mustang out of a prison BLM prison program. Training. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is I also, his show name is Zeus the Mustang. And I picked that for him because on the loudspeakers, they go, okay, now entering the ring, number 92, Jamie Jennings on Zeus the Mustang. And people hear that and they they go, go, hey, there's a Mustang here. Mustangs can do this stuff, you guys. They're valuable. You know, so that was kind of my point with that. Um, So that's my long-term giant goal. My my more short-term goal is to implement a system where I can help people and help horses with this whole thing. I mean, it's, it's changed me as a person. It will change you as a person and it will change your horse as a horse. You know, it's just amazing. I love you, Jamie. You're doing I such love you. a good thing for horses. Well, thank you for being such a, you're a pusher. And I like that about you. <laughs> You've been really, really supportive and encouraging. Um, even when I didn't think I could do this, you ah. and Tom, your sweet husband, were were there for me. And your mom and dad have been just amazing. Just amazing. I mean, I can't believe that I can say I know you guys and I know your parents and they're just awesome to me and they're just great people. And I've been really privileged to to be able to come to the farm so many times and to have you guys welcome me. And I appreciate it. And thank you. And I love you too. I love you too. All right. We'll talk to you soon. You're, you're a privilege to know, and I will see you next week. Intern start, internship starts next <laughs> internship, week. Internship. Yeah. You don't get any extra points. You have to still, uh, you know, you have to go through your internship. I, I don't have any influence over that. <laughs> I'll get it as done as I can. All right. All right. You'll do great. <laughs> You'll do great. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place and learn the magic in the language of the Ask Monty, episode 112. Dear Monty, would you normally talk to a horse? Monty's answer. Sure. I might say, hey, shy boy, how you doing today? Of course I talk to him. But does he understand my words? 
Nah, probably not. What I mean is he hears my voice, but he has no idea what I'm saying. You cannot go out there and tell a horse to accept his first bridle saddle and rider using words. Their language, equus, is silent. It's a language of gestures. I cannot emphasize this strongly enough. I've started eight to ten horses in a day without saying a word. Should you choose, training your horse to respond to voice commands is fine. Most equestrians effectively use voice commands. You should be aware, however, that this is a habituated response. Until trained to voice commands, horses rarely respond to any of our words. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi. I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. In the wide, wide world of sports, is it going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. May 23 and 24, coming right up, is the Movement Symposium and Festival with certified instructors and 11 presenters in California. It's Flag is Up Farms. Then May 25 to 27, right after that, we have our Horse Sense and Healing Clinic for veterans with post-traumatic stress. July 23 through the 3rd of August, we have our 2018 Gentling Wild Horses course. At Flag is Up. And then August 6 through 10, stay tuned for the 2018 Monty Special Training. It's, t- it's 12 years now, I think, at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. So it's a summer in Solvang for Monty. It is. Yeah. Starting in April, he is all the way through August. And so, that is just miraculous yeah, to that, me. That's an opportunity. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time stateside here because he's always flitting about Europe doing clinics for all those folks. So take advantage, folks. If you didn't commit that all to memory or you want to sign up for something, you can go to MontyRoberts.com. Or you can call Flag is Up Farms at 805-688-6288. And... All of that information and so much more is at horsemanshipradio.com, where you will also find information about today's episode and links to our guests. And we love your feedback. Follow Monty on Facebook by typing in Monty Roberts and clicking on the one with a little blue check mark. Or if you're one of those people who lives your life 150 characters at a time, you can follow Monty on Twitter, Monty underscore Roberts. Get the app. Don't miss any episodes of any of the Horse Radio Network shows by getting the app for your Android or iPhone. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Download it today. It's free and easy to use. You can also subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. That's right. And many thanks to our sponsors for making that happen. That's Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 